ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. From some of the best elk hunters in the world. Across the canyon, pop up the other side and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the best one, not you. I love it, man. I feel like I'm super blessed to call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. you got to close that distance really quick on him. And if he's going to engage that much, that's a dead bull. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push Sometimes beyond I your limits. Because I miss it, and it's never as good the second time around, you know? You talk yeah, about it again, yeah. and it's just like, God dang it, man. So, yep. yeah, man, uh, we're on with uh, Evan Brannock, and uh, yep. super excited to talk to you, man, and, and hear about not just the hunt, right? And like I was just telling you, the the archery barren ground caribou hunt is, I'm not, it's a bucket list hunt, right? I shouldn't say it's a bucket list. I don't like putting things in, in those terms, right? But it's it's one of those hunts. <laughs> that I absolutely must do. Um, yeah. And elk just takes up my time. And, you know, with that, with that August caribou hunt and then looking at all the time off of, uh, off of work in September, man, I just can't seem to flip that coin away from uh, my elk pursuit, man, but welcome dude. Thanks for jumping on and wanting to spend Thanks some for time. Me. Yeah, man. Share this story. Yeah. So man, why don't you give the folks some background? Um, you know, just talk about, Talk about Evan, man. Tell us what gets you going and, and, you know, what motivates you to get in the field and, you know, those animals you love to chase, where you're from, et cetera, et cetera, man. All right. So my name is Evan Brannick. I'm in Southern Oregon, 40 years old. I was born with spina bifida. So originally when I was born, doctors didn't know anything about it hardly back in the 80s. So they gave my parents the worst case scenario. I'd be a vegetable depending on everybody for everything. And... I've blown all of that out of the water pretty much from day one. And I've always tried to outdo myself, not like to the point where I hurt myself, but just prove myself that I can do more than a lot of my 
mental capacity says I can at first. Don't we all? And, yeah. <laughs> there's days that it does hurt, but then there's other days where I know if I don't hurt a little bit, I didn't try hard enough. That's that's a that's where most and and I'm gonna ju- I, I'm gonna say it now, right? And I don't want to offend anyone, but you know, I'm yeah. just to separate it, right? Ability, you know, able body, right? I hate saying dis right. disability because it's such Sydney Smith, Tate Hill, Joe Corliss, uh, Brock Carter, you. The list goes on and on, right? The disability yeah. part of it is mental, um, yep. as far as I can tell. So. Yeah. Just to caveat it, right? I have to use the terminology for folks, um, just so we can separate it, right? And it, it yeah. so going back to that, that's where most able body folks fail, yep. right? Yeah. Is is just what yep. you were talking about, is is not realizing that if you didn't feel it, if you if you didn't feel the pain of it, if you didn't feel that effort physically right. and mentally, you, you really yep. haven't done what you could do yeah. that day for yourself, for your goal, for your family, whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. I just had to get that. It, it just, it, it's amazing, you know, talking to you and Sid and Joe and, you know, you, you hear all that and it's just like, man, I'm a weak, I'm a, I'm a weak little bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause there's days where, where we take it for granted, right? I walk in the house after work or something and I'm like, Oh, I got to record a podcast or edit a podcast. Oh, woe is me. Right. Or I got to right. go downstairs and do stuff for Western fly and cut and sew. And, um, yeah. you know, and then there's, there's all these excuses we make, but, but we don't realize that those excuses are us taking the whole package for granted right. because we don't have yep. those challenges, man. It's, it's just something else. Yeah. The, so Joe Corliss, right. My buddy, Joey C in Utah, he had, he had the same exact opening just about right. Born with spina yeah. bifida doctors told his parents, Oh, you're lucky. You know, if, if he makes it, you know, two months or something like that. And what a, Right. Most of them, most spina bifida patients don't make it until their teens, usually, I think, or they used to. Now, there's so many things medically they can do that even inside the mom, I guess, they can correct it now to the point where all it looks like is a major limp now. Wow. I don't know that. Well, (laughs) you wouldn't change a thing. Right. You wouldn't be no. who you are today and you wouldn't have the mindset you have and accomplish the things that you have um, if it wasn't for those challenges that that, you know, the good Lord put in front of you for for good reason. Right. And and for me yep. and I know, you know, many, many folks, uh, it serves as an inspiration um, to see that and, and really, you know, look, if, if you really look inward and I've said it laughing early, if you really look inward, you realize how much of an able body bitch you are. Um, when you, when you yeah. start having these conversations, man. Yeah. It's something else. Yep. So yeah. what gets you going, man? What's, what's the animal? Oh boy. Caribou was definitely my top five, probably my top three. Um, I really want to go after my bear up there. I had one at 800 yards, but I couldn't do anything because it was the night we landed. And 
can't you can't land and fly and can't land and hunt the same day. So was it twenty four hour you, break, right? Something like that. I think they said technically three three a.m. is a new day. Mm. So we were there at like seven something, and the bear showed up at like nine or ten. So we watched it for a while and got really good pictures and videos. I'll text you pictures of it. It's a beautiful bear. We, we guessed it to be seven foot or bigger. So it was a good care. It was a good mountain grizzly for sure. Damn. That's a big bear, yeah. dude. Them, them grizz, man, they send chills up my spine. <laughs> yeah. A couple of my buddies were pretty, pretty impressed that I kept my cool while I was up there for <laughs> that whole time. And yeah, it was a little, little unnerving knowing that there was a bear that big and there was nothing between us, but canvas tent. And dude, I mean, 800 yards. I mean, that's, that's a poke one. It takes us right. a minute to cover that distance, but man, those grizz, man, they get on, they get on the run and that distance is nothing real, real fast. Yeah. I think they, they top out at like 35 miles an hour. Yeah. And there was literally nothing between me and that bear, but open ground. It could have got to us in about 10 seconds. How, how does that feel with a physical dis- disadvantage, right? Not that all of us don't have it, but it's amplified, right? right? Uh, and, yeah. and we'll get into it. So I don't want to get too far into what that, yeah. you know what I mean? Look like across the tundra for you there. Yeah. Yeah. It was there was definitely a few things that we had to reconsider and reevaluate how to get to from where the spike camp was to where the caribou were running across in front of us. It wasn't just a straight shot. We had to go around uh, part of the hill a little bit. We had to go across some of the dry riverbed and that was all in my outdoor wheelchair and it's not motorized. It's manpower. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I had to hook you up with Brock, man, to get that, uh, see if you can't get a remedy to that. Cause I, and not yeah. that it's a bad thing, right? I mean, you over, you overcame and you guys figured out how to do it, but I got to imagine, yeah. you know, A to B being the, the shortest distance for most. And you're looking yeah. at, you know, ways to get around that. You could, you can extend, you know, that travel distance, you know, two, three yeah. times real easy across that right. tundra. And some of that hillside, yep. right? I mean, you're not manpowering yep. up a hill over shale and whatnot. No, not on that chair. I, I probably could have done it on my crutches if it would have, if time would have permitted, but I just didn't have the time. We only had three days at spike camp that we had a chance to get a caribou. So my buddy had to take off to come back into town like five or six days into my hunt. So I basically was flying solo other than my buddy that's the outfitter um, and a couple of his other guides pretty much took me under their wing for the next 10 days and we figured things out. So it was pretty amazing. We saw easily 2,000 caribou and I guess 200 doll sheep on the mountains around camp. Good Lord, man. Yeah, it was amazing. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about what, what made you say, I'm going to go on this for all intents and purposes, impossible bucket list hunt. How did that, how did that start? And then, you know, what kept it going and how the planning go? I know it was a couple year process. 
Yeah, it was about two years from the start of Riley and Caleb talking to me about it. But it's really been a lifelong journey for me to want to get up there and do that. I was watching TV, watching YouTube. And I thought, there's got to be a way I can do this. It doesn't look that difficult to get up there to the flat parts. I know I can't get to the top where the Rocky Mountain sheep are or anything like that. On some of those mountains, I can't get to the doll sheep easily, but I can get to the caribou. They're flat ground animals usually. So we kind of just figured out from there where we needed to set up a spike camp. He's got spike camps all over the mountains out there. Um, out in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in the north slope of the Brooks Range. And the outfitter's name is Riley Pitts. It's Big Game Backcountry Guides. So I highly recommend talking to them if you're interested in caribou, mountain grizzlies, or doll sheep. So, Definitely worth it. So you you have this thought, right? We you know yeah. thoughts spawned, and and you go to them and say, yep. "Hey, this is this is what I want to do." And if they look at you like yeah. you crazy son bitch, yeah, I've known Caleb since we were in high school, and he's known that that's been my my bucket list hunt since we were kids and he knew that it was possible to do. We just had to really think it over, not just jump into it head first. There's a lot of time and effort and a lot of time and effort on the guides part and the outfitters and flights in and out and trying to figure out how to get the wheelchair out to camp and all that stuff. It was definitely a long journey, but highly, highly successful. Even if I wouldn't have got an animal, just being in a place like that, that I'd only seen on TV mm-hmm. and actually getting to touch the mountains and see the animals in person was, it was like, you're at the watching the national geographic in front of you. Right. Living it. Yeah. That, that's the, that's the stellar part of like where, where, hunting will take you right i mean if it for me if it wasn't for hunting i i wouldn't have seen half the country i've seen i probably wouldn't even know half the people i know um you know because of it right and the community is so such a good community right it's so tiny and like-minded people are just amazing but then to think about hey i want to go do that National Geographic, right? I want to go across that tundra, whether I got it. This is the part that impresses the shit out of me. Across that <laughs> spongy tundra, right? Yeah. Be it on be it on my crutches or in my wheelchair. Let's let's yeah. figure this thing out. Um, yep. So so okay, we spawn the thought. We start talking about it. Yep. What was the? This is the date. It did you know how did it go down? This is when we're. Here's the goal, right? Here's the here's the end date. Here's the goal. And then did you set milestones in there? I know you were working out like a madman trying to figure out how to lose some pounds. Yeah. Yeah. I I started off pretty light workouts for most people. It would be a pretty light workout. Walking up and down my grandparents' driveway on my crutches, which it's only 250 yards, but on loose gravel in bad weather tired sore hungry your body kind of takes over and just decides okay you got to finish this it's the only way to do it get done with it no matter how long it takes 
And there was days it took me 10 minutes. There was days it took me four and a half minutes. And all just depended on how tired my body was and my mind just saying, just don't stop, just keep going. And same thing when I have been doing it recently in my wheelchair going around town, I can comfortably do a mile in like 15 minutes in my wheelchair now. Shit, that's faster than most of us <laughs> that are working <laughs> out for September moving on a mile, man. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've been kind of, well, sort of slacking. I jacked my back up. We were, when we were moving, moving my gun safe real, I mean, oh, no. real bad. Um, oh, I'm no. at the chiropractor a couple times a week for it. And, oh. uh, my last mile was like 16, 1640 something. And yeah. uh, man, I was bummed out. I was just like, this sucks, you know, um, yeah. looking at that 16 minute mile. And I was just like, dang, it's because it's like starting over, you know, yeah. after, after an injury, but, uh, yep. you know, rolling through them in 15, man, you got, you got me whooped on the, on the mile right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted, I told myself if I can do it on my crutches in an hour, I think that's a pretty damn good time. Yeah. So. That's, that's moving in, in. What can we explain? Do you mind explaining what what spina bifida is for folks that may not know and how it affects uh, affects the body or affects your body? So yeah, they, they understand. So, yeah. So basically, when I was born, from what I understand and looking at pictures and videos, the spinal cord had a couple of vertebrae that weren't quite closed up around it, and it was actually exposed to the air. So it's kind of like my wires are crossed a little bit. I can still stand. I can still walk with crutches. Actually, I can still walk. If I'm putting my hand on your shoulder, I can still keep my balance. But as soon as I let go of something that's grounded, my body doesn't know which way is up. Like my equilibrium is constantly off. And that's because the, the so, so what's exposed to the air is actually the nerves. Yeah. Right? The spinal cord itself was actually exposed because the vertebrae didn't fully form in a couple of spots. Wow. Yeah, so it's not paralyzed, but it's extremely limited mobility. Motor spine, motor skills are not in my legs at all. I can do the basic stuff like push down and move my legs forward, stuff like that. But if I had to use gas pedal and brake real quick, I couldn't do it. So I have hand controls in my truck. Yeah, so. and every and every <laughs> and every one of you sons of bitches that have hand controls drives like a bat out of hell, man. It's the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. It's like, hey, follow me. And it's like, dude, what do you mean follow you? I'm not driving hundred miles an hour in a in a 40. It's so funny. My buddy Brock, man, that dude. I, I don't I don't even understand it because it, it's just stupid, you know? It, it's so funny. <laughs> But yeah, everybody at them damn hand controls. There's something about them, man. There's a little more throttle on them bad boys. Yeah, a little bit. That's great. So, <laughs> yep. so uh, you know, working out and this yeah. whole time you're mapping it out. Are you guys looking at? Are you looking at the challenges in it? Did you think of a a DIY type deal, or or was that out of the picture? Uh, it was definitely out of the picture. Because I had no idea where to even start to look for a caribou because they're constantly migrating. There's no real set spot for them. You just have to be in the right spot at the right, right time. time. Yeah, it's kind of what I've yeah. heard. You know, my buddy Keith Naylor, he, he's he gone two years and they DIY'd it. 
And the first year he went up with some folks that, uh, I can't remember their name. Dang it. I have that shirt too. Um, <laughs> but he went up with, with some natives and, and got on boo, but then he decided to go back and did the full DIY, right? The drive. Oh, wow. Yeah. They did the drive and everything. And I'm like, that's, that's just bad shit right there. Yeah. But it was, I know you guys. Yeah. It's crazy, but, but it's a, yeah. it's a hell of a cost savings. Right. I mean, when I right, looked, yeah. it was like, this was like three or four years ago and it was like five to seven grand, which for in my head for a boo hunt, isn't that bad. That's for the outfitter. And then you got your airfare yeah. and your tags, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. But he did it for like, I want to say 20, 26 or 2,700 bucks, dude. And came back this that's, year, came back with a really nice boo or last year. That's, that's a really good deal. Cause that's like, half to maybe even less than yeah. what an outfitter would charge. Yep. That's what I'm saying. I think, most out, I think most outfitters are seven to 10. Oh, it's gone up considerably then. Yeah. I know that mine was, I don't know what the full price was. Cause we did this kind of as a, let's try it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So they, they kind of ate the cost on a few things to, try and get me out there to do this to show the world that it can be done so i think i was into it about five with license tags flights everything yeah so, that's that's i mean considering right that's still really gd yeah. good i mean i'll yeah. do it <laughs> yeah and that that was my caribou and my grizz tag and my license and my flight from southern oregon so it was Damn. Yeah, that's really pretty cool. reasonable. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is. That uh, I didn't realize it was with the Grizz tag because that's, I mean, a combo hunt. You're talking ten to twelve grand, easy. I think it was closer to twenty. Huh? Depending. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm so out of touch. <laughs> yeah, and the prices are going up a little bit this year because of all the stuff that has to go up in price anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I, my tag for my Grizz was a grand. My boo tag was six fifty. I think my license was only a couple hundred bucks, even for a non-resident. And then the flights and all that were like another 13 or 14. So is that a draw tag um, for that hunt? The Grizz was the caribou tag was over the counter. Okay. So OTC on the boot uh, and Grizz. Yeah. And the reason my Grizz tag was a draw tag was because I had access to hunt the other side of the river that is state land. So I was state land or um, refuge land. I can't remember, but either way, I had one of four tags given out last year oh, for that unit. Yeah. So I'm not frustrated at all that I didn't get a chance to shoot one. I'm beyond excited that I got to see that yeah. one at 800 yards. So that just gives me more drive to go out there and want to do it again. Heck yeah. And, and focus on that bear this time. You you don't think you'll combo up again? I might. I don't know, but caribou are unique animals. There, it, it's it was weird. I I wish we could have got better video of it. Even after I shot mine, they didn't run. They just kind of bunched up and got out of the way. So they're they're a herd animal for sure. Mm -hmm. But they don't run like an elk does when you shoot. They don't scatter. And that's, that's due to the predation, right? I mean, their biggest predator is the wolf, right? 
yeah yeah riz and yeah. i've kind of seen videos of them doing that you know they're getting that pack yeah. sort of like a school of fish yeah they just use them with numbers all, yep, all of them face out towards the outside and they just kind of bunch together so there's more eyes on whatever's going on and i bet we saw just in the herd that i shot mine out of another 20 plus trophy bulls that ran past us so there's definitely a a lot of opportunities out there. You just got to be picky about it. Don't yeah. shoot the first one because you'll miss an opportunity at a bigger one. That uh, a lot of people just say, I just want to shoot one. Right. And I'm, I'm like, with yeah. elk, dude, I, I have a standard. I'm picky. Like, I don't care. Yeah. This is, this is what it is. Um, yep. So I, I feel you on that one. So what do you yeah. know? What, what would be considered a trophy class caribou? It's all in the individual. For me, I wanted something unique. I wanted something with a double shovel or I wanted a different color velvet on it. I knew I wanted a bull with a white mane on it. To me, that to me that showed the true trophy bull to me. And I got white mane and I got really unique colored velvet on mine. His was kind of like a cream color, silvery gray color and full velvet. He didn't peel it off at all. So yeah. I'm going to have that reproduced on the mount when the taxidermist is done with it. It was peeling off almost everywhere we touched when we were trying to move it to get pictures and take it apart. All right. So shameless plug. If you go back up after Caribou, get a hold of the guys at Velvet, velvet Antler Technologies and uh, get okay. some of their velvet lock. Did you take it? It's a little 12 ounce bottle, depending on okay. how big the boo is, right? You may need right. two, but it's a 12 ounce bottle. You spray it on and okay. the hotter and the more sun it dry, it literally dries up and hardens the velvet. Um, you okay. still have the velvety touch, right. um, but, but you it's, won't locked lose on, it. it's, it's locked on. It's done. No formaldehyde, no recreation, oh, none nice. of that stuff, dude. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, nice. non-toxic so it's you know completely safe to travel with and stuff but nice. yeah check out those boys aj and daryl over there they uh they got some they got some freaking phenomenal products they're velva lock uh the velva scrub gets blood off of everything they have a hide lock and then they just come out with a uh with a skull whitener um okay. so you're not using chems to to bleach your skulls anymore it's just yeah daryl's like a, a freaking i always call him the x meth lab uh, chemist because <laughs> he's formulating this stuff and it's, and it's not his background. He's not a chemist or anything. He just, you know, it's like, yeah. uh, he, he gives me a BS story every time I ask, you know, <laughs> how and how he's coming up with this stuff. But, uh, yeah, meth lab, that's, that's my, got my vote. <laughs> it's the funniest at least shit. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> so man, um, so let's walk through the let's walk through the rest of the caribou hunt since we're on there, yeah. and I'll try not to mm -hmm. derail us too much. But my head starts going <laughs> on this stuff. Uh, but then I really want to talk about that process, right? Not yeah. just the the working out and the mental aspect of it, um, yeah. but I, really to set people's ass on fire, right? If they're if they're dreaming of that hunt or dreaming of that goal or whatever it is, right? Um, yeah, I, I want this to serve as inspiration and motivation for them to trudge forward through those challenges. Yeah. So 
it was, like I said, about two years worth of planning, but a lifetime of dreaming about it. And I, we all knew that it was a possibility and we set out to make it a actual thing that would happen. And there was definitely a few trials and tribulations of, okay, that one didn't work. So let's regroup, go the other way, see if we can out maneuver these caribou this time. Cause we had two or three groups of two or three bulls walk past us and we just didn't think about it in time on the right angle to get in front of them. Cause there's no outrunning them. They're fast, even when they're just walking. So you have to basically get in front of them. So they have to walk past you. Otherwise you'll never get a chance unless you really know you're confident with a long shot. Cause like I said, from the tent to where they originally were was almost a thousand yards. And I was not confident with that kind of a shot on an animal that size. I knew if I missed, it was going to be a big miss and it was going to either be a wounded animal or they would scatter and I'd never see that herd of bulls again. So we had to plan it out, basically draw it out on the ground in front of us. And okay, the runway is this long. They're going across the backside of the hill in front of it. So we have to get to the end of the flat spot and get up to the side of the hill before they get to the top. And we got there at about 450 yards is when that one finally stopped. And he gave me almost a perfect broadside shot and one shot and he was done. All they did was collapse right there. So then we lucked out. There was a group of one, I think one local and two or three of his buddies from a couple other states came out to do a caribou hunt up there also. And they camped about a mile up the riverbank from us and we got their attention so they could help me get my caribou off the hill so we can get pictures of it. And so we could get it on flat ground so I could actually do my part in helping with the best I could with trying to get it skinned and taken apart, which it's, pretty difficult on a 400 pound animal to maneuver it from a wheelchair right so but me and caleb made it work we both were pretty sore and actually kind of hurt pretty bad a couple of times from <laughs> trying to get on the ground and sit back up and lift one of the legs or move the rib cage to try and get some of the meat off and i think my back was messed up pretty bad i think he screwed his shoulder up pretty bad so I felt bad for him for doing that, but it, I, all part of the experience. Teamwork makes I knew the dream work. Exactly. And I knew that one of us or both of us was probably going to come home hurt in some way. <laughs> and we both did, but 100% worth it. And if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have changed anything about it. The whole experience was everything I wanted. I wanted to see caribou. I wanted to see doll sheep. I wanted to see grizzlies. I got to see all of that within the first day. So there was a couple clients that came in to camp that got some really good sheep and really good caribou. And they were a lot bigger than any of the ones that I saw. One guy got a sheep that was almost 40 inches, which that's like the golden ticket. If you can get a 40 inch ram, you're in like the top five percent of the world. Damn. Yeah. Crazy. At the Brook the Brooks Range, man, everything you hear about it, right, is just 
it, it, like you said, it's, it's, you know, watching national geographic and, and yeah. being able to live it. Right. It, it's just, mm-hmm. it's filled with fantasy for a lot of hunters, man, that have that, uh, that have that on that yeah. list of must do's man. Yeah. I have buddies that have hunted other countries that have never got a chance to be where I was at in the mountains. And they were totally amazed and very encouraging that I get out there and do that as often as I can. And some of them even said, whatever we have to do, we'll get you out there with us sometime in other countries to do like an Africa hunt. Cause there's a couple African hunts that I want to do. I think I want to do the Impala and I want to do the spring buck slam. I talked to a couple outfitters down in uh, South Africa that said the spring buck slam is possible from a wheelchair. We just have to figure out what water hole to sit on. Mm-hmm. So no warthog in there, man. What is that? Every time I talk to somebody about Africa, nobody brings up warthogs. I don't know what that is, yeah. dude. It's the coolest, ugliest little freaking pig that I've ever seen. They are. You know, that's like yeah. the only thing in Africa that really interests me is a freaking yeah. warthog. Yeah. And they're little. They're only about 100 pounds. Yeah. Some of them suckers are tanks, though, man, at 100 pounds. You know, big yeah, eight, they're... nine, 10 inch tusks, just nasty, warty. Yeah. Oh. Yep. So about yeah. my wife would kill me if I tried to hang a warthog in her house. <laughs> I'd be a deep uh, shit, man. Oh goodness. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Warthog would be on the list too. Um, and then there's two or three states that I want to hunt for access deer for exotics, just because they're cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hunt whitetail, just because we don't have any here in southern oregon at least there's not a over-the-counter tag it's all a draw hunt because they're, yeah, they're the columbia whitetail so it's only in that one little spot around roseburg and i don't know how many years it takes to draw that tag um and then i know it's going to take forever to get the tag but i really want to try and get my rocky mountain bighorn tag yeah, don't we all yeah that's <laughs> like that's the top five hunt for me right yeah, there too yeah. That that is yeah, that's my upper echelon hunt right there. I got a bunch of points uh, in California for them. Uh, it's a once in yeah. a lifetime, you know, crossing my fingers between that and my uh, my Tule elk points there. That yeah, uh, I haven't some, put in I, for I, that yet. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I'm I'm max points plus probably three or four years now. Um, and I for Tule or Rocky? Yeah, for Tule. Oh wow! Yeah. So the, the Rockies are a little bit easier, um, not much, but it's, yeah. you know, you have a, you have a better chance of getting that, but it doesn't make sense. I could go hunt Rockies anywhere. You know what I mean? I'm in Colorado. Yeah. Why would I right. not go hunt the Thule? It's endemic to California. It's the only place that they'll yeah. ever be, you know, unless they transplant them somewhere. Uh, no way right. I'm blowing those points on, on, you know, and I shouldn't say it like that. I love, I love Rockies, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to use those points wisely at some point, hopefully. Yep. Yeah. I'm the same way. I have a few points for animals around Oregon here, but I'm nowhere near what I need to be to get a chance at a good unit in Northeast Oregon. I think those are like 20 year tags. 
And it's getting harder, man, that, you know, with, with yeah. the way these draws and stuff are going and, and, you know, starting to limit and pull, you know, OTC stuff out and throw it in a draw and, right. uh, you know, other states, the states that we go chase these animals in, um, you know, everybody's kind of tightening the reins. So that game is going to be something else, man. It's, yeah. I can't imagine at some point points are going to be pretty much obsolete. Um, yeah. I just I, hope it's not I at the expense so. of the years of waiting you know, yeah. Yep. I, honestly, I, you know, everybody was chiming in. I got probably five or six texts today about New Mexico um, as their results came out and people were bummed out and some people were happy. But I really think just that full on lottery style. Um, yeah, I, I man, I people are going to be like, why would you? But I, I think <laughs> that's the way to go. You know, with with the way the points are and point creep, it's just it's it's just a waste now. You know, yeah, and and with all the recruitment, if you will, of new hunters, I mean that game is just getting harder and harder and harder. Yep, yeah, it really is. There's a lot of new hunters out there, and there's a lot of a lot of points out there that are not being used. And it's cost prohibitive, right? I mean, for most for yeah. most folks, right, blue collar folks, as the reins tighten up and the tag costs go up, man, it's just you know it's taking folks that have maybe have 10, 12 points, they're not going to be able to look at no. those hunts the same way, you know, if the cost right. keeps going up. Wyoming, they're pushing that uh, ninety ten tag allocation, and yeah, the, all they're going to do is take what they weren't getting in that 10% from the 80, 20, and they're going to put it in that 10% for non-res increase that price. And right now, if you do, it's a thousand bucks plus or minus for a regular tag. If you go special elk tag, it's 1600 bucks, just under 1600 bucks for a non-resident. So wow. what are you going to do when you take, you know, 10% of that pool away yeah. Where's that revenue coming from? It's coming from that 10%. I mean, dude, mm -hmm. on a, if you're putting me in a unit or on private and saying there's this class of bull and you know what I mean? And this is the opportunity percentage. Yeah. I might be willing to do that. But if you tell me that just a regular draw tag is upwards of $1,500, I don't know yeah. if I'm, you know what I mean? That's, that's a lot yeah. of money. If I got to, if I got to hunt with the same 500 people on the same mountainside, <laughs> that ain't a $2,000 tag. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, no, it's not. That's expensive, man. Oh. Yeah. When I went to Wyoming in 2019, I think my, I got a buck and a doe tag for antelope. And I think it was like 500 bucks or close to it. Yeah, and that's well, not for antelope for two tags. That's not bad at all. That's not horrible yeah. pricing, right? That's definitely doable for a lot of folks. But right, yeah, I think my buck tag was like three fifty something. I think my doe tag was like thirty five or forty. And they're like little so roaches. Yeah, they're like little roaches yeah. on the landscape up there too. You know, yeah, isn't that the was... coolest thing to watch them to watch yeah. them run as a herd, dude? And the the way that they flow and follow that lead, it's just it's magical yeah. to watch them, man. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yep, yeah. When when I got mine, they were they were so used to farm and workers out there, they didn't run 
because my buddy drives a big F three fifty. So they just kind of looked at it as another mm-hmm. piece of machinery. So they didn't do anything. Even after I shot, they literally only went over the rise just far enough to get out of eyesight. You got to archery on um, them suckers. I want to, <laughs> I would, I would love to. Yeah. That'd be the ticket right there is an archery hunt. Yeah. Yep. That's on my list. Eventually archery hunt over there. I want to get a big desert mule deer. I know that it's possible. I've seen videos. They're big. <laughs> you could, I mean, for that, you can go to straight down to California. I mean, that's Southern Oregon to, you know, yeah, Southern California, that high desert, man. There's some big freaking bucks there, man. Yep, there is. And a lot of those high desert units, man, are pretty easy draws too. Yeah. Yep. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about putting in for like Nevada or Arizona or some of the easier to get tags in those two states. Mm-hmm. They look at California stays off the list. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I've never hunted California for anything other than. Um, what did I, I think I did a blacktail hunt on the West side of the state once didn't have any luck, but it was definitely cool to see. We saw a few, but just couldn't get an opportunity. Yeah. It's yeah. And I look at just moved out of the state and I'm playing proponent, uh, but that's all about <laughs> the politics and crowds, but you know, California yeah. is so underrated in terms of the hunting opportunity and the caliber of animals yeah. in the state. It is just, yep. it, it sucks when you live it right. And, and you get to experience it and see the value. And the reason yeah. that it's frowned upon is because of the stupid effing policies and the crowds, you know, and some of the craziness, yeah. but, uh, yeah. but man, it's such an underrated place to go spend some time chasing animals. Yeah. I've definitely thought about it more often. I know that, on the east side there's a lot of good open land to hunt and i know a couple of my buddies have been over there and they said there's definitely good good mule deer over there yeah it's it's got Got to know where to get to them i mean even you know antelope in that portion of the state that northeast portion um yeah a lot of animals man i mean you and like i said from southern oregon shit you could you could be hunting pigs in call it three and a half hours if you want to go on a quick pig hunt. Although the price, the price for pig hunts has gone up like ridiculous in the last couple of years. I mean, it was like you could do it for 500 bucks for, you know, a three day or, and now it's upwards of a thousand. Yeah. Yep. It's not cheap. It's definitely gone up a lot in the last few years. That's crazy. I had a few friends that had property down there that they, we're going to give me permission, but then somebody bought the property. Mm-hmm. So now I don't have permission to own their property anymore because they don't own it now. Yeah. That's so. uh, kind of, yeah, I won't get into <laughs> too much of it. That's why I ran yeah. out of there. It's just, it's, but you know, again, an yeah. underrated opportunity. So yeah, I'll, I'll just totally off of it since we're off on a tangent, you know, anything <laughs> about uh, that little bison herd up there in Oregon? I've heard rumors. <laughs> you ain't looked yet? No, I know where they're at. I just can't get a chance to get away for that long to find them. I know the area that they're in. I just got to figure out figure out how to get around certain pieces of property. Yeah, it's tight. It's really yeah. tight in there. 
I I know yeah. where they're at too. <laughs> that yeah. that's I, just, I don't know I don't know what roads to take to get around those properties. Yeah, I think I know somebody that would probably know that. I yeah, to, I have to hook you guys up because um, mm-hmm. I got a couple pins, and he was like, "Dude, I didn't even know that I could hunt them." He goes, I thought they were somebody, you know, someone owned them or there's somebody, you know, tagged down. Right. And uh, I yeah. think that's a lot of what folks, I know people that want to chase those <laughs> up there are probably getting to get pissed by me talking about this. Um, but I think that's a lot of what folks think, right? That it's, you know, it's a no-no, but they're right. uh, running around. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how Oregon categorizes them. I've heard people say that they think Oregon fish and wildlife can consider them livestock. So they, I don't know. They can, but so my understanding is they can, but they have to be tagged. Right. So they got to have a tag on them. And so if they're just wild running around those mountains, they're free game. They're free game. No, you don't even need. Okay. I'm going to, I got to caveat this. I'm going to get nobody in trouble. And and somebody please correct me if I'm wrong today, two years ago, no tag, no hunting license. Okay. It was just, you find them, you shoot them, you're good. Um, yeah. And I found cool. that, I found that very interesting, right? You didn't even need your hunting license to, to go after them. Yeah. Because I thought that you needed a hunting license even for the non-natives. They're they're not even a game species in Oregon, is what I was hmm. told when I was looking okay. into it. So they're not even listed or anything. Now, that was two years ago. So if someone's right. listening, don't, you know, hold me liable for you not checking yeah. and knowing your regulations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's on you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And that's a, you know, I, I think some folks tr- tread a fine line as it is sometimes um, yeah. when it comes to that stuff. But yeah, that's, that's another, that's another cool pursuit that's right in front of us. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, there's so many opportunities, man, um, to go chase animals. Yep. Yeah. And I'm, that's one of my bucket list animals also now is the bison. Is like, like I was telling you through text messages, I'm really getting close to getting that super 10 slam. So I want to be the first person in a wheelchair to try and get the slam. And then once I try and get, once I finish the super 10, I'm, really going to try and work my way to the North America slam. There's two or three animals that are going to be almost impossible, not totally impossible, but almost impossible. And I'm thinking it's going to be the mountain goat and the stone sheep. If I ever get either one of those tags, those ones are going to be pretty difficult. Yeah. I was just talking to uh, Lee Hawk with tooth of the arrow broadheads and we were talking about the, uh, the slam and how long it takes folks to do it and, and just the effort that goes in and the money that goes in. I mean, dudes will refinance their house and sell off everything to try and complete that mission, man. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just over here enamored with elk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, shit, man, I I thought I dreamed big. And you got these guys out here just like, man, I'm, I'm still in like the preemie stages of of my aspirations. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very fortunate with the 
the group of friends and family that I have around me, giving me all the encouragement to get out and do this kind of stuff. Shit, you better give you some money too if they're encouraging all of it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to help with the finance, that'd be even better. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, I'm very fortunate with the group of family and friends that have been there for me through the whole thing and are still there for me through all of my crazy adventures that I want to do. Everybody thought I was crazy, didn't want to go to the Brooks Range. And yeah, maybe a little bit, but. I knew it was possible. I knew I was going to come home a totally different person mentally and physically. It did change me. I definitely feel more confident with a lot of things in my life now. That's badass. How did it change them? Right? Because I'm I'm sure as much as, as they want to be supportive, there has to be those questions of safety and man, can you really do this? Hey, that's a great dream. Right. And, and right. people will try and talk you away. Yeah. Because of their fear. Right. Did yep. you see any change in folks when you came back? Like, look at this boo mothers. Yeah. They, there was definitely a lot of that second guessing my abilities and they were, and it's all, like you said, their own second guessing themselves. Mm-hmm. And not believing that they could do it. So they don't think that anybody else should try. So, yeah, especially if you have a disability, right? I mean, that's even like, yeah, you're you're a lunatic, Evan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people assumed that something was going to go drastically wrong for me while I was up there. And to be honest, I was a little concerned at times, but I figured, you know, this is one of my biggest dreams that I've wanted to accomplish. And I figured if something does go completely sideways, this is where I want it to happen. Where I'm out there in the mountains, I'm not going to stop doing any of this stuff. If something happens while I'm out there, so be it. That's where it was meant to happen. That's the risk that we all run when we go out in the field, right? I mean, we all run that risk. So to sit there and have anything but that thought you know, and, and maybe there's certain yeah. considerations that that not just you have to take. I mean, you know, I was talking to some gentlemen back east um, and they're they're coming out with a podcast that focuses on, you know, uh, like 60 plus outdoorsmen. How can you get out and, and still go hunt? You know, how can yeah. you, you know, it'll laugh at me. How do you take your oxygen and your, and your BP cuff? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And then how does, yeah. how does prep and things like that look? Um, so there's yeah. all these considerations that all of us take when, when right. going into the field, but the projection of someone else's fears is, in my head, that's a fool's game, right? And and I'm not going to say right. I'm, I've never been guilty of it. You know, I, I think I'm still guilty of it, right? Is is people's, the uncertainty of what if. Everything right. we freaking do in life has a what has a if in, yeah. at the end of it until we go and accomplish yeah. it, right? It's all a what if. Yep. I don't, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, disabled, disability, abled, Young, old, whatever, right? It all starts with a thought, a a dream, a goal, and a fucking what if, you know? You let that that scare you. And I'll just say it. I did it for years. I've been trying to get out of damn California, California, excuse me, for for years. (laughs) But there's a fear, right? I made a lot of money. 
we were, you know, had our house, owned our house. Oh, yeah. that's all we knew. Right. And and the yeah. fear and the what ifs is what kept me from really moving and progressing that. And now I'm out of there and it's the greatest decision I've ever made. Um, yeah. And it was and, you know, you always go, well, why did I wait so long? Right. And, and really looking at going, OK, this and if you're if you're honest with yourself about it, it was because of the fears and the what ifs, you know, right. everything. We do is that. Yeah. Everything <laughs> we do is that way. Yep. The what ifs are always what slow people down or completely make them stop. Yeah, that that's a weird one, right? Because we get so far along in something and maybe you're yeah. not seeing the progression or maybe the projected fears are starting to weigh in on us. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's just a weird, it's a weird, weird yep. thing, man. It's, it's yeah. an interesting aspect of life, right? Because yeah. we just do it. Uh, I was talking to a buddy. He's trying to get out of his home state and, uh, it's, oh, how did you do this? And how is this? And, and I'm like, dude, just, just do it. There's none, there's never going to be a perfect time. And none of this stuff is going to fall in line perfectly and, and line up to where you're like, okay, here it is. Right. You just got to yeah. go and take the, like you did go and take the yeah. chance. And like you said, if it puts you sideways, it puts you sideways, get back up, straighten out course, correct. And then keep going after that SOB. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what our mindset was the entire time while we were up there. If something goes wrong, we'll work around it and figure out how to make it go the right way. Yeah, it's bad. And there was, there was definitely a few times that it was a little iffy trying to get my wheelchair through some of that tundra, but we made it work. <laughs> did you did you put the rubber boots on? <laughs> oh. Almost a couple times. There was a couple times that Caleb was pushing me and we almost both ended up on the ground because we would hit a clump of tundra that we didn't see at first. And then one of my wheels would get stuck and the momentum of both of us moving forward at the same time would just kind of tip my wheelchair forward and we'd have to stop for a second and regain our balance and get back onto it again. I mean, if you, especially right if you're trying to cut the boo off, you know, and you're angling yeah. and you're watching, you're watching, you can't constantly watch the the ground, right? Exactly. As, as much as right. it was probably planned out, right? You watch the animal, I'll watch the ground. Just tell right. me where to go, right? I know that yeah. all went to, out the window as soon as you yep. both get on the herd and the eyes are on the herd. It's just move that direction. <laughs> I can yep. see it. I can totally see it, man. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> totally exactly see that. how it happened. Yep. And yeah, it was so fun to just get out there and see that. And if, like I said, even if I wouldn't have come home with anything, just the experience and the personal growth for that two weeks was enough to totally change how I look at life now. So talking about that a little bit, what, how, how did it, how did you see it affect Caleb? He definitely changed a lot of things too, because he was, he was concerned about my personal safety more than anything. And he knew what, he knew to a point what I was capable of and we both kind of pushed our limit a little bit a few times just to break out of that comfort zone. And we figured out 
okay, this is what we can physically do and we can push ourselves a little harder and go a little bit better in the direction we need to. And so it was a learning experience, not just for me and Caleb, but for Riley and the other outfitters and the other guides that were at camp too, because I'm the first one to ever go up there in a wheelchair. So this was a groundbreaking experience for all of us. That's freaking amazing, dude. So I was, I I just pulled that up. I was trying to see how many, how many folks have done the, uh, the slam there. Only 173 people have, have done that. The, the North America slam. Yeah. What about the super 10? I haven't looked into that one. Let me check out the super 10. I got four of the 10 so far. I got a caribou. I got a uh, caribou, a black bear, a black tail, and an antelope so far. Let's see. And I got to get one of the species of elk, one of the species of sheep, a bison, mountain goat, and cougar. And there's something else. Oh, one of the species of moose. So I got six more animals to get. And that yeah, that's definitely doable. Yeah. You start charting that course to six animals. I mean, yeah, some of them, you know, might take a few years. It might be a, you know, six animals could take you 12 years, right? And and that's if right. I tag on most of them. Right. And then if I if I do it like I've been doing it, I I'd done two animals a year for the last couple of years. So oh, dang. Yeah, I did my caribou this year, and I did my black bear and my black-tailed deer the year before. And then I did my antelope in 2019. So in the last three years, I've done, or four years, I've done four animals, basically. So. Let's see. It's not really giving me on the Super 10. I couldn't find a whole lot of information on that one either. And I've never been able to put in the right keywords to see if anybody's done it in a wheelchair. I bet you could, I can scroll through this thing if we could find it and uh, we could just check out the folks. Oh, here we go. Super 10. They're actually saying it's, that is uh, more difficult to be awarded because it requires harvesting one subspecies from each big game category. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that is definitely a, a tougher challenge because there's only ten versus twenty seven, I think. Twenty nine. Yeah, twenty nine. Yeah. So let's see, we got one, two, Jesus, one, two, three, four, five, six. I gotta stonehenge this seven, eight, nine. <laughs> okay, so that's a block of twelve, so 24 36 I'm gonna say with just without counting because they don't they don't give you a number I'm gonna say it's yeah. it's right around 300 folks which is still phenomenally low right considering yeah. at the moment there's something like 15 million hunters um yeah. purchasing tags and and license a year so that's still yep. really, really low. Yeah. 
I think I don't know if I think on something like that, right? You like you have to look at it, and I think a lot of folks don't even realize that they're on that path until they're four, five, six animals in. Yeah, I can't imagine that our aspirations as a demographic are, are this low, right? But for me, like I yeah. said earlier, I, I'm hung up on elk, right? Yeah. Years ago, I was hung up on you know hunting pigs, um, right? You know, muleys. So mm-hmm. I got to imagine our distraction to it um, is is probably what limits us too. Well, there's a lot of folks on here that are that are on the Super Ten list that are really really close, dude, to yeah knocking down the twenty nine. Like yeah, I saw a couple of them that were in like the low twenties, yeah. mid twenties. I think one was at like 26 out of the 29 or yeah. something like that. Yep. There's I only see one 26 on here. Closest to that is a 24. Yeah. So that that's, that's of, definitely a big challenge. Ton of teens though. I mean, like, you know, mid teens, yeah. there's, there's a lot of folks that are moving on it. Yeah. Yep. I got to imagine you just wake up and look at the wall or something and go, Oh wow, this is what this is. Or they don't even know about it, you know? Yeah. Oh, I am. <laughs> I'm doing this. I'm going to accomplish this maybe. Yeah. No, I knew a few years ago that I wanted to get something like this, not just for publicity, but for a personal goal. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I could do something like this. It would just take me a while. So, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm one of, if not the first to get up there to do the Brooks range. So that's that I just thinking about that, man, is, is just a phenomenal, just a phenomenal thing to me. When, when we were texting and and you said, you know, I did it in my wheelchair. I'm like, you didn't know mother. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like the first thing I think about is this spongy tundra. Like, yeah, I think I asked you, were you in a track chair or something? And you were like, no, just a regular old, Man-powered yep. push chair. How the f- yep. you know? <laughs> it, it it didn't. It would have never even dawned on me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it would have never dawned on me. And it's just like, holy crap, man! You know. Yeah. And I immediately go to my excuses for things when I yeah. hear stuff like that. I just I immediately go to you're a big you're a big bitch. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of the same response when I did my my podcast with Garrett Weaver. Oh, Garrett's a big bitch point. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I can't call him Garrett anymore. I told him I was going to call him Rocket Man from here on out because that picture he posted the other day. Oh, yes, uh, my buddy, man. That's a, that's a, that's a good dude yeah. right there, man. He is. He's the one that got me started on wanting to talk to people about this experience and I did my podcast with him a few months ago. So that was a lot of fun. Got me more to open up and talk to people and definitely a a really good experience for me. Yeah. It's uh, isn't it interesting? Like, well, you know, we're kind of recluse and it's just our thing and and you don't realize that, that how it serves other people. Yeah. I, I really didn't realize I knew it was going to, inspire and encourage people but i didn't realize how fast this was gonna explode and how many people were gonna respond and the some of the businesses and some of the most well-known names in the industry 
have contacted me. That's awesome, man. Did you, did you think when you had the thought, did you think it was going to affect people that, that have a disability or did you think it was going to reach able body? Uh, to me, I wouldn't even imagine being in your position that you would have even thought that it would be an inspiration to the demographic at large, right? Not a small, you know, right. cluster, if you will. Yeah, I I really didn't know where this was going to take me. I knew that I wanted to get it out there to show everybody that it can be done. And it, like I said, I've been getting responses through Instagram and Facebook from multiple very well-known businesses and people and it's way beyond what I expected it to ever do and everybody's been very generous with helping me try and figure out my next adventure and giving me very good advice and trying to get me connected with the right people and talk to the right businesses and talk to different fish and game departments or different ranches for different hunts. Yeah. Get so. you, uh, get you in some of that track chair power, man. It'll make that tundra look like nothing. Yeah. I have one. I just couldn't bring it with me because it's too big. Yeah. It's, the weight. On them, just, huh? Yeah. I think they're like 350 pounds almost. So that's, that's just, a lot lighter than I thought they were. Yeah, some of them are a little bit bigger, but the way mine's designed, I think it was like three, three fifty. So it was definitely not a lightweight chair, but it's it's doable if we had the right kind of bush plane to take it up there with us. Yeah, and they the bush planes, man, they limit that weight uh, pretty heavy. Yeah, I was surprised yeah. to see how limited you have to keep your load. Yeah, I think it for the ones that I was in, it was me and Caleb and the pilot and our luggage in my wheelchair was the most that we got to carry. And the other one was me and the pilot, my rifle and my backpack. And then on the other plane, they had to do two trips to get my wheelchair out to spike camp. Yeah. Cause I, so. I when I was looking, I, I remember, I, well, I shouldn't say I remember, I recall 70 pounds, you plus 70 pounds was kind of the max uh, right in some of those planes yeah and i think it's still around that that same weight range it's 50 to 70 something like that for your luggage and rifle and that stuff and then the pilot plus one person so it was definitely interesting to try and figure out the easiest way to get my wheelchair on the different planes the one plane my buddy owns he, we actually had to take the wheels off of it and strap it to one of the wings sort of like they run that's how they run the antlers and whatnot back huh yeah same yep. yeah the same idea and that that's yep. an interesting thing too right and i think that lends itself to why you would want to go with an outfitter because if you consider right. you know 70 pounds kind of being your max we call it 100 right on a different plane right um you know if you're seven to ten days out there man that's that's not a lot of food and equipment. You know, I can, yeah. you know what I mean? You, you yeah. pack 10 days of, of three meals a day, snacks, whatever, to keep, you know, the calories up, man, to say, you know, to stay good on the yeah. hunt. You're, you're easily within the 80 to 100 pound range. Oh, yeah. Um, easily. Just know. within food alone. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. And then, uh, Definitely, and then rain gear and yeah, 
and it didn't rain all that bad up there. There was a few, few squalls, a little bit of snow every once in a while, but it was the beginning of winter when we got there. We got there August 26th and I flew out September 9th. So I was there for almost two weeks. How was the how was the bugs that time of year? I've heard that they're it, believe it or not, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. It was it was just cold enough and there was just a little bit of wind the whole time. So the bugs weren't that bad. So they were bothering the caribou, I could tell. They were <laughs> flipping their ears and constantly moving their heads around, but they weren't bothering us over there at the base camp or out at spike camp. Yeah, that's good. I've heard I've heard you're the first person I heard have heard say that the bugs weren't just freaking horrible. Yeah, I've talked to a bunch of my buddies that said it was literally like trying to breathe through smoke. Yeah, that's rough. I you know, when we were shooting the Northwest Mountain Challenge up at Hoodoo, um yeah. they, I mean they're running that event at the height of mosquito hatch i mean it is dude it was so miserable up there you'd walk away and i mean you'd have hundreds literally hundreds of bites on you your ears Mm. your face your arms your neck nothing works nothing works on oregon mosquitoes you can't spray deep (laughs) don't work gasoline doesn't work alcohol bug be gone i had i was rubbed literally rubbing sawyer on my arms just like okay you sons of bitches are gonna bite me anyway you're gonna die for doing it <laughs> so i'm rubbing straight permethrin on my arms man it was it was horrible and then you know they they'd last about a week and a half right you just welted up a week and a half they start yeah. going down you're like oh thank god relief and then nope two weeks later dude they're back <laughs> it's like what where did the hell these you know what i mean like what happened the first the first time we were up there i freaked out i i freaked the out because my arms welted back up my hands swole back up and it was like what in the shit yep those uh orgonian mosquitoes are are fucking nightmare (laughs) yeah they're they're pretty vicious man (laughs) yeah it was. It's been like that around here a couple of times in the southern part of the state during certain parts of the summer. It, it gets kind of bad, but then there's other times where there's no mosquitoes for weeks at a time. Yeah, that's the so, that's the preferred. <laughs> that's yeah. the preferred weeks right there, man. Yep. Yep. Then there's definitely times where I've been out in the mountains during elk season, and you can hear the mountains come alive with the bugs. It's yeah, it's making skin crawl thinking yeah. about it. Oh, dude, that I've never. I mean, I've been in some, you know, where you're breathing and you'll breathe them in when you walk through a cloud. But I've never experienced yeah. anything like up at Hoodoo. That that's just crazy up there. That's what I've heard from a few people that Hoodoo was pretty amazing. I, to, yeah, it's yeah. that's dude. That is a a fun fun shoot. But uh, yeah, it was. It's unfortunate that uh, you know those last two years with this crap have kind of knocked it off the Richter there. Yeah. Yep. Unfortunately. Yep. Well, shoot, man. Um, What do you, what do you have coming up? What's your plans for this year? Uh, This year I'm trying to find a cougar. I'm going to find a bison somewhere out there. I got to sweet talk some people, I think to 
figure it out. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to try and either get my Rocky Mountain elk or my Roosevelt elk this year, too. Because I know where there's some Roosevelt elk out here on the west side of the state. And if I draw Eastern Oregon, I know I have access over on the east side, too. So it's just a it's a waiting game on that tag to figure that out in the end of June. It's coming though. Yeah. It's, I mean, I was looking today, right. You know, draws are being released. So it's, uh, it's knocking, yeah. it's knocking on our door, man. It'll be here before we know it. Yep. Oregon deadline is the 15th of May. And then we find out on the 20th of June ish, depending on the day of the week. Yeah. Sometimes it's a day or two early. Sometimes it's the 20th. Exactly. Did you put in for uh, spring bear up there? I did. I got my tag. I just don't know where to go yet. The oh. weather's been so weird. Hit hit Rocket Man up. Yeah, Rocket, I know. I need to <laughs> Rocket Man, dude. I, I tell you what, like like Garrett he's, Garrett is a he, great hunter, right? He but is. Dude, I think he, he found a, like forty bears one season. Yeah, that dude has a knack for them freaking bears. I mean, he is, yeah. in my opinion, one of the most underrated guys there is running around with yeah. the podcast. I mean, he is just and he's a proficient with his weapons. You know, his, oh, yeah. his knowledge base is crazy, and that dude kills yeah. some animals, man. He does. Yep. Yeah, I definitely – I need to get a hold of him and see if he can get me up in those mountains up there around his house somewhere. Yeah, tell him to drop there. a couple pins. I mean, I yeah. think that the problem is his name is Garrett Weaver and not Rocket Man. <laughs> 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 I bet you if he changed uh, it to Rocket Man, man, he would, he would just fly up like a spaceship. <laughs> That's very possible. Folks are going to be like, what the hell is he talking about? They're not going to get the reference. Go look at Garrett's post and you'll figure it out. I know exactly which post you're talking about. Uh, Yep. Yeah, he's definitely a a good guy. I'm I'm glad he's one of my friends. Yeah, he is. Garrett's a solid dude, man. He is. I'm glad that you reached out and wanted to talk to me too because I was really – excited to let everybody know about my caribou and the experience is it's doable for anybody if you have the right drive to do things in life absolutely brother well i appreciate it man i appreciate the time and then you know making the connection with you and getting to hear you know a bit about the story and just chop it up man we'll have to stay in touch and keep me posted as as things start to pan out for the season man and let me know uh, where you're landing where you yeah, land on the cougar definitely. hunt, man? I'm interested in that. That was one of the things I couldn't hunt um, while I was in California because you can't even bring you can't bring any piece of the animal back. No hide, no that's, skull, no yeah. meat, no nothing. So that, that's that's uh, what I hear. Yeah, that limited me, and that's one of my must do hunts. So we'll be uh, yeah yeah I'll be dr- making a little short couple three hour drive to Wyoming to go chase nice. uh, to chase a lion now. So yeah. Yeah, we got plenty of them over here in Southern Oregon if you want to make your way out this way too. Man, the problem is is that uh, you know people chomp at California, uh, maybe not as much as me as as I have been on this episode, but uh, <laughs> man, freaking Oregon, dude. We, we, I wanted to move to Oregon for years. That's where I wanted to land. Yeah. And the yep. uh, the politics, man, just it's just yeah, like it, it's it's definitely changed the way a lot of us think whoosh. about any anything outdoors anymore unfortunately yeah it's like they're it's almost like they're trying to lead the pack in the in the crazy shit show you know between washington yeah. oregon and california 
it, it's yeah. just a scary it's a scary scary thing man yeah yeah they've they've tried to put bills into effect that'll limit us on hunting and even livestock yeah they, is, and that, that is being is, put into bills that shit is crazy that's the craziest thing i've ever i can't even yeah. believe vegan utopia is what everybody calls what they're trying to do right i mean yeah. fishing ranching breeding animals um yep. the, the way that yep. you the way if you tie your dog up a certain way it could be it could fall right. in you know it's just like it is unbelievable the shit they're yeah, trying I've, to pull i've talked to a lot of people that have little to no knowledge or they have negative knowledge on the hunting outdoor industry right so they've always assumed that we're barbarians and we're doing it just for bragging rights mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah, it's cool to get a really good elk or a really good mule deer or an awesome caribou or whatever. It's the experience and being able to provide the, the meat to the family or friends. That Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just they don't understand that animals don't live at the grocery store. Right. It's funny to me that... You know, we, we, even within our demographic, we say trophy hunter, right? But in every yeah. other facet of life, we set goals, right? right. And, and achieving those goals is applauded. And when you talk yeah. about hunters, right? It, it's now we're, we're the bad guy. Yeah. And it's like, look, I have a goal to go to Alaska in my wheelchair right. with my crutches and go shoot a caribou, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it, yep. Why, why is it looked down upon so much? It's just, I don't think they realize one, what we're doing. A lot of them, right. don't even, you know, I've talked to folks I've been hunting. They're like, well, there's deer in here. And I'm like, yeah, there's deer in here. Um, <laughs> but I don't even think they realize that what outdoorsmen do, what hunters do for wildlife exactly. and the trails yep. that they're on and the resource yep. that we provide. Um, and then the management that we provide to the herds that, we have to, yep. right? Those herds yeah. cannot go unchecked. We've had our hands in too long, like laissez-faire handoff. That's not yeah. an option, right? No, we've, not at all. We've effed it up and we have yep. to maintain what we've effed up. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, that's, it's, it's true. That's yeah. what it is, you know? Yeah. That's the only way to do it is a little bit of management will go a long way. Heck yeah. It's been, it's been proven with whitetail and turkeys and everything we have. Numerous other animals. Yeah. Look at yeah. elk, bison. I yeah. mean, think about, yeah. you know, bison. And I, I, it's funny to me. I saw who posted something on it. Bam posted on it. Um, and people talk about, Oh, the bison were hunted to almost extinction. No, the bison weren't hunted. They were no. killed off by yeah. the army trying to yep. take out the Indians. That, that's not hunting. That's just killing, no. right? That was just eradicating. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Trying to kill, uh, you know, take the tribes out so you take their food source, right? Their main food source. Yep. So yep. It's, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And so the connotations that, that you know, we get or, or hunting is used as. Um, yeah you know, just across media and everything is just, I mean, years and years and years of that plugging into people's head. Um, 
yeah you know no no wonder we have this this fight that we're constantly in but it's just unfortunate yeah i think it's up to us to spread the word right to the non-hunting public um and let them know right share the information and share how valuable we have been as a demographic and yeah there's anomalies right there's there's bad apples in every bunch um but it's up to us to spread that message and, and, you know, let them know that, Hey, this is, this is what hunters do. Cause we talk amongst yeah. ourselves. Right. Right. We do. And who's yeah. going to listen to this, you know, hunters, right. Yeah. Yep. Non-hunters. I mean, they're not going to listen to a hunting podcast. What do they care? I mean, unless they're trying to, you know, troll, but that person you're never going to reach anyway. Exactly. Yeah. They'll, they'll listen to it just to cause problems. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's yep. interesting, man. We have an uphill battle. Uh, yeah we do battle. but yep. keep uh yep. keep setting those goals brother and, and dreaming those dreams oh, yeah. and getting them after them man yep. i uh oh, yeah. like i said man yeah. i appreciate the time and and you know the connection man yeah. let's stay in touch and see how this season yeah, goes sure. yeah definitely for sure i really want to try and find a way to get back up to the brooks range and hunt with those guys again that was a epic experience so Grizzly. i highly recommend it yeah I'll yeah have to, uh, Grizzlies what, next. What was that? What was the outfitter's name again? Riley. So it was big, big game backcountry guides is the the outfit, and the Riley Pitts is the the guy that you want to talk to about that. He's the owner of the company. Um, Caleb White is my buddy that is was the one that was with me the whole time, and I've known him since we were in high school. He's one of Riley's guides, and he actually does guide a little bit around here too. So yeah, so if anybody interested, that's uh big game backcountry guides, that uh Brooks Range chomping at that uh that bucket list. There you go. Yeah. Yep, it's definitely a worth it place to check out. There's they've got access to I think they said the the area that they have access to is almost as big as the state of Oregon. Damn. And it's unreal. And it's all in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Yeah, look at look at DIY and that and then give uh give the Riley a call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I highly recommend you go out there if it's a first time thing, go out there with somebody that's got experience. Because you never know. You can get turned around and walk up the wrong drainage and end up in the middle of the arctic <laughs> that's crazy so. you look at alaska man that's a big 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 place you got them yeah. grizzlies yeah and everybody thought that i was crazy to go up there and be at ground level camping with grizzlies <laughs> yeah a little bit but i had a reason i wanted to do it yeah well if, if we let the what ifs yep. stop us from doing everything or anything will never accomplish anything, right? Who the hell wants yep. to live like that? And then honestly, yep. when it all flashes back in front of you in those last moments, I don't want to recall just yeah. worried about the what ifs, man. Screw that. Exactly. No, thank yep. you. I will definitely remember all of the amazing things I did and regret is not going to be in my vocabulary. That's it, brother. That is yep. it. Yep. Definitely. Well, we'll end yeah. it on that one, man. I don't know if we could find a better okay. ending. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, man. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. I'm